Hey, my name is Paul Arith. I'm the lead designer of Control at Remedy Entertainment, and you're listening to Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova Podcast. The Casanova Podcast, the number one podcast in Hawaii, is brought to you by these contributors on Patreon. If you'd like to see more content like this more often, as well as more podcasts, reviews, impressions, early access releases, live streams, and original content, then consider becoming a patron today. Right, and welcome everyone to another episode of Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova Podcast. I'm your host, Mikel Casanova, coming at you with another phenomenal episode. In today's episode, we have the true honor and privilege of interviewing the man who is the lead designer on Control by Remedy Games. He was also the designer on Halo 4 and 5, Shadowrun, and Connect Adventures. And it is just such a an honor and privilege to have the man known as Paul Arif on the show. Now, if you haven't already, you need to go and play Control. That game is such a phenomenal game, and it's just something when you think about how every game that Remedy makes has a narrative and creative twist that's an experience like nothing else. And to see the work that Paul Arif and the team at Remedy did with this game is simply second to none. In this episode, we're going to dive into the creative process they went through, his own personal adventures and endeavors and things that he enjoys, and so much more. So if you're ready to do it, I'm ready to do it. Let's go ahead and welcome Paul Arith onto the show. Right, and welcome everyone to another episode of Hawaii's number one podcast, the Casanova Podcast. I'm your host, Mikel Casanova, and I'm coming at you with a phenomenal interview. It is such an honor and privilege to be able to interview the man who led the direction and creation of Control. And if you haven't bought it already, you need to go out and buy this game. Paul Arith. Man, introduce yourself. It's such an honor to have you on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Michael. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm Paul Arith, and I'm the lead designer on Control. And so I, I was responsible for sort of overseeing um, the gameplay of the, of the game and, and how all of that came together with the story to make the experience that we hoped it would be. Definitely, definitely, man. You guys did such a phenomenal job. It's, just, it's such a psychological thriller, the intrigue, everything about the game. It's, I like how... You know, for those of you who haven't played it, when you start off, I'm, I'm not going to spoil any of the story, but it, you start off, you're just asking so many questions. And as you find out one thing, you get five more questions. And it's so intricately layered. It's just, I love it. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And that's really a, a testament to the team. I, I mean, the whole game is, is really so many different talented people coming together, especially um, Mikhail Kasurinen, and, who was the creative director and, and sort of conceived the original idea. And, and of course, Sam Lake, who was the lead writer. And both of those guys are just just world-class talent. And, and that's that's the reason I originally signed up on the project to begin with. Awesome. Awesome. Tell people uh, where they can find you on social media. Um, so on Twitter, I am Bacon Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can follow me there, and I tweet about control. Nice, nice, nice. And um, tell us about yourself. Like, what are some of your hobbies and interests and things that you like to do? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I, I got into video games at a pretty young age. I, I think, actually, one of my earliest memories of, um, of you know, what really got me into um, games to begin with was my older brother, Dan, mm -hmm. brought home an original Atari, and he plugged in Centipede and, you know, cranked up the sound and turned the lights off, and I was so blown away. I think I was, like, seven years old. Um, but that moment really kind of changed my life, and I wanted to know, like, what is this thing, and, mm -hmm. and how is it made, and and how could I share this type of experience with other people, this kind of joy that that I got out of out of uh, seeing and playing that game, and so that was kind of what kicked off my my desire to make games for other people. Definitely, definitely, and and I mean, going from because I I also grew up with the Atari and the NES, mm -hmm. and it's. Isn't it amazing to see like the different stages of gaming from there to now? It's it's like we're in another dimension. <laughs> yeah, literally multiple dimensions beyond that yeah. <laughs> since it started out with 2D. Yeah. It's it's just, it's just crazy to think. I mean, from, you know, from Centipede to the original Mario Bros, Double Dragon, Castlevania Contra to now, you know, we have Control, we have Death Stranding, we have these amazing all you know photorealistic games that if you were to go 15 years back 20 years back 30 years back nobody would fathom if if what's out now was out then they wouldn't be able to tell it from reality <laughs> yeah every time you look back at what was considered photoreal at the time you know we would all laugh just like we kind of laugh at, at king kong the original king kong movie <laughs> special effects now but yeah, my, my good friend, uh, David, um, he has uh, a few young kids, and instead of starting them out with the newest games that are coming out, he's actually taking them through basically the whole history mm -hmm. of video games and starting them out with you know the early Atari and NES games and making sure that they have a well-rounded understanding of, of all this incredible entertainment that people have crafted. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely important for people to understand, like, where gaming came from, where the pivotal moments were, how we got to where we are now. And I think we're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of that resurgence of the older systems and, and, and consoles and companies is coming back. It's like a new wave. I mean, the beat em up genre is returning. We had River City Girls, and I was like, I, I personally didn't think that the River City franchise is going to come back the way it did. And I'm like, oh, okay, Double Dragon's coming back. And, you know, it's crazy that Street Fighter V has so many Final Fight references. And I'm like, oh, a lot of people <laughs> are like, who's Lucia? I'm like, play Final Fight Three. I, I think also we saw with um, 
with Terry Bogard from SNK being announced in Smash, a lot of people were like, "What's who's the Terry Bogard? What's the SNK?" And I'm like, "You got to know your history. It's kind of pivotal." <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so uh, how like walk us through it? Like what what got you into uh, the gaming industry and like what were you know, what was that point in your, you know, your younger years that you thought that this is what you wanted to pursue? Uh, getting into the game industry is a rather strange and mysterious thing to to <laughs> do, as many people kind of discover as they try to get into it. And it was, it was kind of the same thing for me as well. So as I mentioned, I kind of started, you know, with this moment of inspiration from the early Atari and NES games. Um, but there weren't really any schools um, back then to study game development or game design and, and how to get into the industry was was completely, you know, Boring. total mystery. <laughs> and so um, what kind of was a, another pivotal moment for me was um, when um, Half-Life 1 came out. Yeah. Uh, it shipped with a lot of the tools. Uh, that you could use to mod uh, the game, to modify the game, and build new levels, and build different characters. And you can change like every part of the game, the, the whole user interface. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of blew me away, and, and this was kind of when the internet was really starting to catch on, and people were starting to post tutorials on how to do all these things. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, when I was basically in, in high school, I learned how to mod Half-Life, and I built a mod called Box War, and it was by pure accident. I was trying to figure out how to get a character into the game, mm -hmm. and it kept failing. Every time I would try to export my, you know, player model into the game, it would keep failing. And so I decided, out of frustration, I'm just going to attach a box to the root of this, you know, character, and just export just a box and mm -hmm. see if that works. And it did. Um, and so then I was able to run around in the world as a box, and I thought it was really funny, so I put a, a box texture on it from the mm -hmm. game. And then when I would play multiplayer with my friends, I, I was the box that was running around chasing people. And what I noticed was if I stopped moving, mm -hmm. everybody would just kind of run past me as though I wasn't even there, because I just looked like I was a part of the level. Yeah. And so that kind of gave me this idea for this mod called Box War, where every player is a box, and if you stop moving, uh, you can't tell who is a player and who is part of the world. So it's that um, that actually became somewhat popular. I think it got around 80,000 downloads. And I was just a, you know, a high school student at the time, so that was another moment where I realized, hey, maybe making games is possible for someone who has no idea what they're doing whatsoever. I mean, it, it, but it, like one of the things I want to ask you too is like when you were creating that mod and you're using the tools, did you naturally like gravitate towards like, oh, okay, I get this, or was it just trial and error? It was, I think it was a couple of things. I think it was total trial and error and having literally no idea what I was doing, but really having the passion and that desire to create this thing called video game for other people to enjoy. And I, I loved the, the joy that it would create in other people's lives. And I just, that made me want to share it even more. Definitely. And, you know, and I think a lot of the younger generation that, you know, came up, they were born in the 2000s, whereas, you know, you and I from the 80s and onwards, it's definitely a different 
I, I don't think they would understand like how different it was back in the nineties and the eighties. Like we didn't have, you know, the access to information that we have now. So if you really want to learn anything, you had to, it's kind of like the old, I have like this theory when it comes to like learning stuff back in the day, it's kind of like the GI Joe method. We just take it apart and you just put it back together. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's how we learn. I think the most is by trying something and not knowing what we're doing and then failing at it and learning from those mistakes. And that's one of the things that um, I try to um, encourage at Remedy as a studio is is that we don't have a fear of failure, that people can try things that they've never tried before and fail at it and that we would we would just say, okay, well, what did we learn? Um, there's another studio here called uh, Supercell, mm -hmm. and they're actually known for having failure parties where mm -hmm. they actually throw a party when they cancel a project and then they present, you know, what they learned from it. And, and I thought that that was such a cool concept. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and every time, you know, and I, I like that you have that approach because literally within everything, there's an opportunity for growth and learning. And, you know, that's something that, you know, even for me as a podcaster, as a content creator, you know, when I have gotten to where I'm at now, I'm a full-time content creator as of a week ago, and I'm just learning more and more things. And, you know, when I work with other content creators and I work with companies and I'm like, oh, okay, that worked. Oh, okay, that didn't work. Let's not do that again. You know, bad. <laughs> so it's yeah. just one of those things. Yeah, you know, and absolutely. It, it's 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 such it's it's a fun journey. You know, and that's that's really what I love. Yeah, that's the adventure of life. And um, you know, you've worked with many other companies before. You've worked with Microsoft, and you know, you were one of the the lead designers for the campaign for Halo four and five like how like how did you get to work with microsoft i i worked with microsoft as well but not where you were like i i'm, I'm it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> well that was a whole nother wacky journey so so when so after i finished high school again there were still no schools for game design even though i kind of built this little game demo mm -hmm. um and and I was actually considering going into the, the military because I had no idea what I wanted to study. And I, I kind of didn't want to just fail out of out of school mm -hmm. um, without finding something that I was really passionate about. And um, and uh, but at the last minute, I found this school that was called Henry Cogswell College that was in um, Everett, about an hour north of Seattle. And um, they had a program called Digital Art, which specialized in 3D modeling and animation mm -hmm. uh, for film. And so I, I, went, I ended up applying and, and going to that school and studied uh, digital art and learned 3D modeling and animation and you know, web design and a whole lot of other random stuff, um, a little bit of uh, script writing for film. And, and I, I did some film directing there as well. Um, and then after I finished that, um, I worked in, in Hollywood down in California. I was hired to work on a movie called The Barnyard. Wow. And, and, and because I was one of the few people that knew the software um, that they needed to, to uh, you know, hire people to use. Mm -hmm. And so I worked as a 3D artist, actually, to begin with um, there. And uh, after that... I decided that Hollywood was not for me, and I really wanted to get back to making games. And so I applied to Microsoft, and I got hired at a studio called FASA, 
that was making a game called Shadowrun for the Xbox, which was a competitive shooter, kind of like Counter-Strike, but with yeah. magic and tech upgrades. And um, that was where I made the transition kind of from um, 3D art to professional level design. And it, and it was just kind of a nice fit being able to work in both 3D modeling and, and using that to build levels was was really nice. Awesome. And also, and, you know, and I, I, I like the fact that, you know, you said from, you know, your journey in school to going to work in Hollywood and then back to, you know, to Washington to work on games. And I think, like, there's a, you know, a great learning lesson for the audience and for others, too, is like, even if you go to school or you go to college, that's you. There's often times where you're gonna think, okay, I think this is what I'm gonna do, and then you end up down the road pivoting to something completely different. And it's absolutely. It's you know, it's one of the things like I try to tell a lot of my my nieces and nephews when they're because kind of funny, a lot of them are in college now, and they're like, Uncle, I don't know what what I want to do in life. I'm like, find something you're passionate about because. Yeah. There's no telling, like, what you think you like now, maybe in a year or two or five, you probably won't care about. And I think mm -hmm. people should be comfortable and open with the capability of changing and pivoting in different directions. Your story Absolutely. emphasizes that greatly. Absolutely. I mean, the it's, it's a journey. And uh, I think one of my professors in uh, college said something that kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm which was um, think about, like, if you're having trouble figuring out what you want to do, think about what you love doing when you were, like, five, six, or seven years old. Um, and whatever that was, that is what you will find joy doing, you know, kind of for, for the rest of your life. And I thought about it, and I, I realized that, that back then, even, I was, I was so intent on kind of entertaining people. I really wanted to, like, present these little things that I built uh, for people to enjoy. And um, it turns out here I am many, many years later, and I'm, I'm basically doing the same thing, and I, I love doing it. Definitely. I mean, and that's, that's definitely something that... I, so I've always heard it is, if you want to know what you want to do, learn what you don't want to do. But <laughs> I kind of feel like that's true, but at the same time, you can find a whole lot of things that you don't want to do and never get close to what you want to do. But sure. the example that you were you were told, like that's that's very true. That's very, very yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, it might work for some some people that are that are still kind of trying to figure it out. Um, but yeah, and, and also it's it's such a, a strange road to to get places. I mean, uh, even at on this project, this isn't the end of the road for me, and I have no idea what I'm going to be doing. You know, in ten years from now, I, you know. Three years ago, I had no idea I would be living in Finland and <laughs> working here. And when I was in college, I had no idea. I would never have dreamed that I would be working on a on a major Hollywood motion picture. And and seeing my name in the credits was like I started laughing because it was such a ridiculous idea that one day I would you know have worked on a movie. And so I think it's really important to kind of continue following your your dreams and and working hard and. And uh, I think that as long as you're following your passions, that even if you're not making the money, um, you'll still enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. You know, and that's definitely true. Uh, you know, money, as nice as money is, and I, I love money, is yes. not always the, the root 
of happiness it, it's actually not the root of happiness like for me i've been in the it world for almost 10 years and yeah. um as of last week um i left my position as a senior systems analyst doing telephony and network arch architecture and i i mean the money was good but it got to the point where i was working 12 to 14 hour days six days a week never seeing my wife never you know seeing my family and i'm like okay uh i need to pivot courses because if i'm only seeing my wife in the morning when i leave and at night when i come home and she yeah. sleep that's not a good that's not good <laughs> yeah it's it's really important to find balance and yeah. the older i get the more i realize how important that is definitely um, so you say you're, you're living in Finland now. Where are you from originally? Are you originally from Washington or? Yeah, I'm, I'm from Seattle originally. And then I lived down in San Clemente, California for a couple of years. And when I was working on the movie and now I'm, now I'm over here in a foreign country. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like there? It's really, really nice. Um, it reminds me a lot of Seattle, actually. It's very chill. It's very mellow. Um, it's everybody here is. No, no, it actually hardly ever rains here. Um, we do have long, dark, cold winters, um, but the summers are still really nice. And uh, we have sauna to get through the winters, which is awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I was, I was thinking, I'm like, hey, if it's like uh, Seattle, because I, I used to live um, when I was working for Microsoft, I want to say 12 years ago. I'm showing mm -hmm. my age. Um, <laughs> I, um, I used to live in Kirk. I started off in Kirkland. Then I went to, uh, Seattle. I was living downtown Seattle, which is insanely expensive. And then we ended up, uh, moving back. Uh, my girlfriend at the time and I, we moved back to Kirkland to like Totem Lake area. That was also insanely expensive, but mm -hmm. it's nice. You know, it's, um, I, I, it, it does rain a lot in Seattle, but I think some people kind of exaggerate how much it rains. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not every single day. It's just nonstop. No, rain, like, so. no, we, we tell people that to keep the, keep everybody else from moving into the city. Cause it is really nice. <laughs> um, we, we must've been around the same area at the same time. Cause I was, I was starting, um, you know, in Redmond at, at uh, FASA in 2005. More likely, yeah, I think we were, because I was, yeah. yeah, 2006 for me, that's when I was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I would have been around. <laughs> cool. Um, what are, um, so, like, when it comes to, like, the, the game design, like, what all goes into creating a game? Like, what are some of the things that, um, you know, and for the audience and for the, you know, the general gaming consumer... What are some of the things that we don't see, like how the planning process and, you know, the brainstorming, like how is it as simple as most people think, oh, I have an idea. Boom. There's a game. Like, I, I know it's not, but. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And uh, I think every designer sort of approaches this in a slightly different way. Um, you have uh, people like me who like to try to plan things as much as we can uh, down on paper first and, and really iterate and try different things in our heads on paper because it's to me it's the quickest way to see if something's going to work or not um, then you have other people like Genova Chen who's who's um, you know made Journey 
and Flower and Flow and all of those games. And, and he's sort of famous for, for not really planning much of anything at all. And I think his, his, his main uh, intent with Journey was just make a game about friendship. And then he kind of figured it out as he went. Um, so everybody's a little bit different in how they go about building games. Um, I usually try to start with like understanding what is what is the fantasy or the intent behind this experience. Where is the the magic going to come from, mm-hmm. and what makes this game special? And then building the game out from that. Like maybe somebody has an idea for um, you know flying through the clouds, and then okay, now we're going to build a game around that. Or somebody has a story that they really want to tell about you know their childhood, and then how can we build a game around that? So I think it's really important to start with some kind of a seed uh, that grows into the rest of the game. And no matter what happens with the other details, you can always come back to that core concept. Um, from there, I usually try to do a lot of, you know, uh, kind of blue sky um, brainstorming and think about well, what else would go well with this type of experience um, and then start paper design and, and drawing out plans and, and writing down all these things that might go super well together. Um, and then after that, you usually go into the prototype stage where you, you start building some version of the game. And that's both very exciting and very terrifying because that's when you kind of see whether or not what you've been dreaming of in your head is actually going to work or not. And a lot of the times it just kind of doesn't work or it's it's not as fun as you, you hoped it would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the prototyping is, is good and fun, uh, you keep going and then um, you kind of add all these additional things like your custom animations and all of your fancy level design and, and environment art and, um, and uh, the voice acting and the writing. And then it kind of all starts coming together. And, and that's one of the things that as the lead designer I'm kind of responsible for is taking all of these very different elements, um, you know, like weapons and how they fire. Um, and which weapons you have, and uh, how the shooting and the aim assist is going to feel, uh, special abilities that you have and how those those work, uh, the level design, the mission design, what you're doing and, and why you should care about it as the player, um, combat design, is it, you know, how is it going to be fun to actually engage different enemies and feel like you can both attack and know when to attack and defend and know when to defend, um, and the enemy design and what makes each one unique. Uh, the player progression, making sure that every player feels like they're growing and and learning and developing as they play through the game. Uh, The economy, are you collecting things and what can you spend it on? Uh, And then, of course, at the end of it all, the leadership and and making sure to kind of communicate this so that uh, you sort of keep everyone's ships pointed in the same direction. So there's there's a lot of different things that go into it, but it's, uh, it's what I love to do. Is there like any point where like you're close to completion or you've already completed a project and you're thinking to yourself, man, I want to add this or man, it would be cool if we added this or are there any like, like even with all the technology we have now, the advancements we've had in, you know, 3D modeling and, and physics engines, are there still, actually this is two separate questions. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> sure. Uh, I'll throw the These first. are good questions. <laughs> I'll throw the first one out there first. Um, is there any point when you're close to completion or you've already completed a project where you're thinking you want to add more to it, but you have restraints like time? 
Absolutely. So, so what we call that in the industry is something called emergent design. Mm -hmm. And it's when, as you're developing the game and as you're playing it, you see opportunities mm -hmm. to take advantage of something that, that you didn't think about before. And it kind of emerges out of the game. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you really do want to leave um, flexibility so that you can take advantage of those things. Um, and, and some things, you know, even in control came in very late uh, towards the end that I think ended up being some of the more memorable parts of the game and that's really cool um, and uh, yeah yeah it's 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 a huge part of game development is is kind of I think sometimes the game will tell you what it wants to be and you kind of just kind of have to go along with that okay and okay that second question <laughs> um with all the, you know, the technological advances, physics engines, motion capture, graphics engines, are we, you know, when I say we, are you, as mm -hmm. designers and as the gaming industry, are there still technical, like, restrictions or technical handicaps when it comes to what you're trying to create? Or is it more streamlined of a process as compared to, like, five, six, seven years ago? I think there's always going to be, you know, until we can directly plug our brains right into like some kind of, <laughs> you know, shared simulation experience. I think there's always going to be some limitation. And it's, I think it's just part of the human condition in a sense. I mean, you know, writers can often really struggle to get what's in their head into the, onto the page in a way that conveys, you know, this idea or this emotion that they they're feeling and same with musicians i think as well and, and it's the same with game developers you know we have these ideas and um it's it's always a question of well how do i share this idea with you and so programming became a thing and we could start the text-based games where people would you know write these cool little stories and, and have some interaction there um, and then started adding graphical elements to, to again, further that vision and, and share even cooler things, really amazing works of art. And uh, it just kind of grows and grows. And I think we're, we're reaching a point where we, we do have really good tools uh, that allow us to build things quickly. And now we have really big libraries of content that you can kind of pull different assets from very quickly. Um, and yeah, it's really exciting to see how far things have come, even in like the last 10 years and uh, thinking about where things will be in 10 years from now. Yeah. You know, and it's one of the things, like, I, I stop a lot and I think about, um, you look at, because this is something I hear a lot. A lot of gamers complain about how big of a file size games are. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. look back at what they were working with in the Atari, the NES, and the Super NES time. They had kilobytes. They had one to two megabytes to put, gameplay story graphics and just look at where we're at now we're having photorealistic orchestra osts we've got you know physics engines it's the natural progression of creation of games so it's in 10 years from now i can't even fathom <laughs> and that's that's part of the uh the experience you know just you know let's see where let's see how far we can take this thing definitely and you know i i have to ask you like you got to work on the iconic and legendary halo series halo 4 and halo mm -hmm. 5 
what was it like when you got brought on to work on that? How were you feeling? Like, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> that was, yeah, so so Halo 1, I think, um, the first Halo game was one of the most influential games to me as a designer. I think, um, you know, I would play these other first-person shooters that were very popular, sold very well, mm-hmm. um, and I, I loved playing through it. But by the end of the game, I kind of didn't want to play it through again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like reading a book. You know, you read the book, and if you're going to read it again, it's it's, you know, it's okay. Um, but everything's going to happen the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And, um, but with Halo, something totally different happened where I could play through that campaign over and over and over again, and every time it was different and, and new things would happen. And, and we call that sandbox gameplay, where you kind of put a bunch of different toys in the sandbox mm-hmm. and just let people have fun and play with them and kind of create their own fun. And so I wanted to kind of figure out, well, what, what is that essence of this this uh, replayability and and how can we you know build more of this into games and so working on halo was always kind of a dream you know a a moonshot dream and so um getting to work on halo 4 was um you know incredible it was it was just weird you know you kind of feel shell-shocked a bit Mm -hmm. or starstruck when you walk through the doors and you see this life-size seven-foot-tall master chief statue (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing adventure and it was, it was really challenging, but I learned a ton on that project. And, uh, especially from the two campaign leads, Jesse and Ray were both, you know, incredible designers. And I learned so much from them during that time and was able to take that forward to where I am now. Awesome. And awesome. And, um, you know, you're currently at Remedy. I, I gotta ask you. How did it feel when you got hired there? Like, what was your experience? What was your thoughts? Because that's Remedy is an iconic company. You think of Remedy, you know, you've got Alan Wake, you've got Quantum Break, you've now got Control, you've got other games. And the thing I've always loved about Remedy is their games aren't just, it's not just a game. It's, It's a story. It's an experience. It's like... I, I can't really name any other game that I've played that reminds me of Alan Wake or Quantum Break or now Control because you're it's like you're in it's an interactive movie and sometimes it feels like more than a movie it feels like real life but okay I'm gonna stop I'm gonna shut up now <laughs> Go ahead yeah no, no I mean that's all that's all you hit it um very cinematic is how a lot of people describe the Remedy games and and the I think the very first game I saw was uh, the first Max Payne game, and you know of course was blown away by the, the graphics, the technical quality. Um, but I think the first game I, I really played was Max Payne Two, mm-hmm. and I was just utterly blown away by you know that cinematic experience of the game and the story. It was yeah. incredible. Um, so. Yeah, Remedy's been around for a really long time, and um, so again, I think there was a moment where I was walking through one of the storage um, storage sort of areas where they they keep a lot of the old um, props and things that they use, mm-hmm. and and I saw like um, I think it was Max Payne's leather jacket uh, that Sam wore to to you know, for all the, the shots that they did for the comic book uh, inside the game. 
And I was just like, this is super weird. I'm like being starstruck by this jacket that's that's here. <laughs> and, you know, it was like 20 years ago right. that I, I played this game. <laughs> yeah. So it was really cool just being able to meet Sam and, and the team. And, and uh, there's a few people at Remedy that were there since the very, very beginning of the company that have been there for 20 years. That's, I mean, put myself in your shoes, I'd be starstruck. It's like... It's yeah. such a surreal experience. Like before Max Payne, there was nothing that had that type of cinematography and this progression of story, the cutscenes, the the layout of the comic book. I mean, of course the movie tried to emulate that, but the way Max Payne one, Max Payne two, the fall of Max Payne, Max Payne three, there was nothing before them that ever presented a story in that fashion. And it's yeah. it's so amazing <laughs> yeah yeah and and so i i loved i loved the storytelling and the characters in this world that they were so good at creating um and then i wanted to really bring that replayability and that depth of gameplay that i loved about games like halo into the remedy universe and give players you know like a bit more exploration to the world and a bit more uh to learn in the combat and make it feel like you can just drop into the game anytime and pick up where you left off and have a good time no matter how many times you've played through or beat the game and of course how well we executed on that is is up to the players but i i think i think we did an okay job i think you did a fantastic job i mean especially when it comes to control it is not in any way linear most 3d you know third person shooters are very point a to b the, the game yeah. just carries you from the different beats but that was one of the things that surprised me when i was playing control is like oh this is I'm, I'm literally dropped in the sandbox here's the map this is my objective but i can still go here i can go here or i can go here mm-hmm. all right i mean it's this it's rarely done and you guys execute it so well so i mean hats off to <laughs> so that was that was actually a big risk and there was a point in the project um that um we weren't sure if we were going to make it <laughs> but <laughs> but so i i played a lot of different games and um you know that are very waypoint driven you know they kind of give you a waypoint and they say here's where you need to go and then you kind of go there mm-hmm. and that that it's okay you know it's not there's nothing wrong with that but it seemed to be such um such a thing in games to the point where I kind of wanted to learn how to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And and so then games like Demon's Souls and Dark Souls and Bloodborne, um, all of Miyazaki's games came out where they just drop you into the world and they say, good luck, you know, figure <laughs> it out. Right. And and there was something so compelling about that to me that it's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure this out. I'm going to learn where to go and I'm going to trial and error my way through it. And it made the world feel so much more real and alive uh, and present um, that I wanted to take control more in that direction uh, with the level design and uh, really make the oldest house, this, this strange building that you're exploring, feel like an actual place that you're in. Yeah. And so the original plan was uh, to say um, no waypoints at all uh, mm-hmm. that we were going to use kind of three main uh, ways of, of allowing you to find where you need to go. Uh, one was going to be um, good 
landmarks and markers so that you can kind of say, oh, it was by, you know, these giant trees, um, and that that would be kind of a standout place in the environment. So having good landmarks was really important. Um, number two was having clear descriptions in your mission objective, which would tell you where it was that you needed to go. Mm -hmm. uh, so you would know which sector and which room in the sector you needed to go. And then number three was just having a decent map that you could bring up to see where those places in the sector were, uh, and then follow the signs in the world to find your way there. So it was through those methods that we hoped, you know, again, this was a big risk, uh, but that yeah. we hoped that players would be able to find their way through. So we weren't just hand-holding you and, and telling you where the answer was all the time. And, you know, the other thing, too, like, and it was, again, you know, and I'm not just blowing smoke up your butt. I'm being completely honest. I think you guys did really well, you know, phenomenally well with that because it's just so open-ended. Like, you know, when you get to the point, you, not a spoiler, but you get to a certain point in the game where you can get, you know, your cards, you can go back to doors that you couldn't open mm -hmm. before. And I'm like, man, this is what a metroidvania <laughs> in the sure. 3d sense should definitely be i mean the exp the exploration aspect of it is so good and i like the fact it it's just like like he says it's you got the inspirations from the miyazaki universe of games where you'd literally dropped in and that's one of the things like i i absolutely love is it, it's actually and a lot of people think it's a new design i'm like it's really not when you think about mm. it it's, that's how games used to be before we had 10 and 30 minute tutorials before, or in the case of some of like the persona games you got two hours before you can actually play the game yeah you just get dropped in okay figure it out and i'm like cool <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's nothing new under the sun my friend I, I mean we just kind of take bits and pieces of things that we've been inspired by and then we put it into the blender and then we hit the puree button and then pour something that we hope is new and uh, and uh, not so derivative of, of at least not directly um, like other people's works but there were there were a lot of inspirations from many other games um, in control definitely definitely again like I said you guys did phenomenally well with it and it it, it makes me want to ask like what is the team at remedy like like what is it like how does all the pieces just fit together because you guys no matter what title comes out it's just epic and i, I gotta know like how do you guys like the cohesion i know mm. i do a lot of things with my hands so i talk with my hands. no that's no good <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so it it again really speaks to the quality of um the professionals at remedy they are they are fine craftsmen and craftswomen. I mean, everything is about the quality of this experience. And uh, so we have a lot of really talented and very experienced leads that have been around for quite a while and have worked on a lot of different projects. And uh, and they just kind of put in the time and the effort to to lead and guide their teams to make you know the best work possible. The team itself is actually really small uh, for control. We started out with about um, maybe about 20 people um, after the very initial prototype, which was like three people <laughs> just kind of <laughs> screwing around with it. I was about to say, what? Really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Mixu, Mikhail um, kind of worked with a, with just a handful of people and, and put together the first 
prototype of Control, which was actually a mod of Quantum Break. Oh, and so wow. they took the Quantum Break engine and just kind of put in some abilities and let you run around. And uh, it was cool. It was really cool. And, and they sent me the video of that when I was still in Seattle. And that video is what made me want to sign up for this project. Um, it was just, you know, I could see that game, and that was exactly the kind of game that I had been wanting to make for a really long time. And um, and so, yeah, we started out uh, when I got there with about 20 people, and um, then we grew. Uh, eventually, we grew to about 90 people, I think, which is still, I would say, it's still on the small side for a you know a game that's attempting to compete with the AAA, the big, fully budgeted uh, AAA games. Um, but for a majority of the project, I'd say we were around 60 people. Wow. Um, so it was, a, it was a pretty tight team. So we had to work very efficiently. And, um, you know, we didn't have a lot of um, leeway in the schedule to make mistakes. So I forced the design team to kind of do everything on paper. And I'd review everything on paper um, and then before building it. And then they'd go to build it. And we would do regular review sessions. And um, so, yeah, we... Uh, we just tried to work as quickly and as efficiently as we could. And, and again, speaking to the, the quality of the team, they really pulled it all together at the end. It's amazing, man. And, you know, I, also another question I want to ask, walk us through, like, you know, being lead designer for Remedy. Like, what is your day-to-day -day like? Can you walk us through, like, your process? Like, we, we want to know, man. We, we want the meat of what you what you do because this this is what you know myself and my audience we love this we love to understand how things operate and it's just you know what you do is it's it's amazing it's something that you know in a million years i could never do it but I, i'd want to know like how does it work so oh i think you could i think anybody could um it's it's uh i think it's not as i'll try to demystify it a little bit but it's it's a little bit difficult because it covers such a broad variety of things. And it, what I'm doing is going to be totally different every single day of the month and and also every month, depending on where we are in the development. Mm -hmm. So early on, um, when I come into work, um, I basically, I'm always trying to assess what is in most need of attention at any given time so that we can make sure that that's getting figured out and then communicated to the team so that everybody knows what uh, this game is we're, we're trying to make. Um, and so usually at the beginning of the project, it's lots of broad, you know, uh, trying to understand what the broadest uh, elements are so that everyone can kind of understand. So like I mentioned before, um, what are the core player mechanics? You know, can you jump? Mm -hmm. um, and then what are the, in this game, it was what are the abilities? And what can you, you do in this game? Uh, and then just writing, writing those out, and that's it. Uh, and then, you know, what are the weapons? What could the weapons be like? And then writing out a few examples of the weapons. So keeping it very, very high level, very general. general. Um, the level design. Okay, the level designers are going to need to know what the levels are. So um, can I point them examples of games to play right now that they can start getting a better understanding of what kinds of levels they should be uh, building? 
um, and then you know putting together PowerPoint presentations that show you know okay here is examples of of parts of levels that I think would work well with this game. Um, and then, okay, now the, the systems designers need to know what they need to be working on. So how is the combat going to work and what what elements are we going to need uh, so we can engage in interesting combat? So a lot of it is at the beginning of the project is just very, very high level planning and just starting to get the rough uh, picture together. You can almost think of it like a Sudoku puzzle mm -hmm. where you have a few of the numbers already given to you on the board. And those are things like, okay, we're making a third person shooter. Um, this is going to be an action game rather than like a turn-based game. Um, we have this much time and this, this many people. So you have some of the numbers on the board mm -hmm. and then you kind of have to start figuring out the other numbers. Some of them are easier. Some of them you, you pencil in something <laughs> and then you erase <laughs> it and write in a different number later. Um, and then it just kind of moves forward. And then later on in production, um, sometimes I'm, I'm doing some 3D modeling uh, for for level examples to give an example of like what would be a good combat space. Um, sometimes I'm working with the writers to figure out how are we going to do the missions and how are we going to deliver the story uh, to the player through the missions. How are NPCs going to work? Um, is there Are there doors in the game? How do they work? Do you interact with them or do they open automatically? Um, do When AI come up to them, do they open up for AI? So there's all of these questions that come up as you work more into the details. The devil is in the details, as yeah. we say. <laughs> and uh, so you just keep working from general down to specific. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it never really comes from one, one person. It's, it never comes completely from me. It's uh, always a matter of being very open to all these other incredibly talented people and taking all of these bits and pieces of ideas and finding ways to fit them all together uh, that make this kind of puzzle this finished puzzle of of a finished game awesome man awesome it's you know and as i've over the last two years that i have been working you know more closely with the the gaming you know community when it comes to not just the game community but the gaming company you know i've worked mm -hmm. with you know working with uh, microsoft and working for them for years and also you know working with square enix working with capcom working with nintendo it actually Back in May, right before E3, I was working with Capcom for, and I, mean, I can say it now because it's out, uh, for mm -hmm. the uh, Monster Hunter Iceborne. You know, they right on. They were out here in uh, Hawaii. They went to each of the different islands. I was with them. I was with uh, Ruben Langdon, the voice actor for Dante and Kim from Street Fighter, and getting to see them do location shots and and to do the audio samples for different environmental sounds. Like it really helped me have a, a deeper understanding and appreciation for how the gaming industry is, you know, for what goes into creating a game. I know a lot of people, a lot of content creators, a lot of, you know, gaming journalists that may not understand that aspect of it can say, oh, well, this game is trash. Oh, this game is great. But it's like, do you understand what all went into it? And it yeah. is, it's, it's so intricate, you know, and for, from what you described to me, from what you know you oversee and what the team that you work with some of the things that i personally have had the privilege of working with it's it's so well-rounded it's it's every every cog works together in conjunction to get the vehicle moving forward and it's it's i love it <laughs> absolutely yeah that's that's really cool that you got to do that monster hunter was uh, a huge again another hugely inspirational game 
uh, to me. I think I started out with Monster Hunter 3 and, mm -hmm. and sunk, I don't know how many hundreds of hours into it. <laughs> but that was, that was one of the games where I took uh, inspiration for the economy in control from was was having this variety of different uh, things that you were able to collect and then spend uh, to upgrade your gear in different ways. So that's super awesome that you got a chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was completely like nothing else I've ever experienced. And, and for the audience, any of you who are wondering like, oh, if you get selected or you get to work with these projects, yes, you sign an NDA. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. And you cannot say anything. I, it was so funny because I would go around places and people were like, hey, is that? Are you are you walking walking around with Ruben Langdon? I'm like, yeah. Oh, what are you guys doing? <laughs> nah, we just hang Nothing. Out. We're just, just BFFs. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're like, oh, who who was all those people around you? Ah, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing to see here. Yeah, it's weird when you when you work. I mean, this this is like every day, almost all every year on on every project is. You know, family members, friends asking, so what are you working on now? And I just say, oh, I can't really talk about it. Maybe in two years I can talk about it. <laughs> it's really, it's, it can be really frustrating sometimes, but that's that's part of the part of the life. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, and it's, it's you know, when you're working in the industry, like as you are, it's such a different thing from, you know, the the nine to five consistency that a lot of people are used to. It's you never really know what you're going to be doing next is what I've yeah. gotten the impression from, you know, voice actors, developers, you know, the sound engineering team. It's always something new every day and you just have to be prepared to go forth and, and just experience it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, winding down to the last couple of questions I have for you. Um, sure. Hopefully I'm not boring you. Hopefully. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, so I know we said, um, you know, you, you had inspirations from um, Miyazaki games and, and from Quantum Break. What what else, you know, aside from Max Payne as well, like what else went into the inspiration for Control? Because aside from the the thriller, psychological thriller aspects, there's some kind of horror ambient sound aspects to it too. Like, the, the, okay, if I'm going to say it, you know, the area where you have to click the light to go across mm -hmm. and you end up going to the hotel mm -hmm. that area i'm sorry i got my surround sound headphones on that <laughs> freaked me out i'm like yeah. am i in a horror game <laughs> or is this resident evil or silent hill or what's going on like what, how did you guys come up with that yeah so we were sort of exploring this new this this genre um it's been around for a little a little bit now called new weird and new weird sort of involves elements of of horror and supernatural, but it it kind of tries to ground it mm -hmm. in a very um, you know believable but very strange way. And so um, a lot of this game was sort of exploring into that genre. Um, and so there were, there was uh, inspiration taken from um, like uh, Annihilation. Uh, if you've seen, if you've seen the movie Annihilation or uh, or Stalker mm -hmm. and uh, books by China Mieville uh, that kind of explore the genre as well. Um, visually, there's also inspiration taken actually from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, oh, wow. uh, the movie. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, and um, yeah, a lot of the visuals were kind of 
centered around that. You know, you're you're this director of this very, you know, kind of 60s, 50s uh, bureau, and uh, yeah. And so on the on the narrative side, that was kind of some of the main inspirations for the game. Uh, and then on the design side, I kind of wanted to pull it back uh, closer to the action of Max Payne, where it was just kind of all-out action. And because uh, that was one of the, the Remedy games that I loved the most. And um, so, of course, there was a little bit of inspiration from games like Halo and Destiny and even Doom 2016, the, the kind of franticness of the action and how you can just kind of do all these really cool things and feel yeah. super powerful. So, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of pulling in a lot of that and then a little bit of Dark Souls for some of the world design, level design. Um, and then we had a whole lot of other super talented people just kind of putting in these, these little flavors and elements. I think um, our, our mission designers, Jonas and, and Anna Marie and, and Tommy and, and Temu all kind of came up with these these interesting ideas. Each one led one of the different sectors and each one came up with their own ideas. I, I tried this new thing where I wanted to, they may have never forgiven me for this yet, I'm, I'm not sure if they have or not, but I, I wanted to try something a bit experimental, which was um, in order to avoid each sector from feeling the same, mm -hmm. I wanted to not, um, I kind of wanted to separate them all. I'm, I'm fascinated by this concept of culture that we have in the world where you can travel to all these different countries and you, you see these different cultures that are very unique and they kind of sprouted up um, for, for reasons. And, um, and I think a lot of what makes them unique was some amount of separation from, from other cultures. Mm -hmm. And now because of the sort of globalization and the internet, we're, we're seeing these cultures kind of merge together, which is, is good in some ways. I think you get the cross-pollination and, and new ideas forming. But in some ways, I feel almost like a sense of a bit of a loss of the uniqueness of these individual cultures. It kind of starts creating one giant hodgepodge. And I wanted to avoid that with our sector design. So I actually kept them very separate from one another and tried to prevent them from really talking to each other too much about what they were doing in their sectors so that each one would kind of grow almost organically and mm -hmm. separately. And then I would be there to kind of make sure it wasn't getting, you know, too far out of control. <laughs> um, so that was how we kind of went about building all these different sectors. And, and one of the reasons why I think they, they have each their own flavors because each one of our our designers kind of put their own soul into them i mean that's and, and you can definitely and for anyone who's played it you can definitely tell in each area you go to it does have its own identity and feel to it and that's something yeah. like some areas you'll run through and you're like oh okay i can get you know senses of quantum break from it oh some Max Payne, like you said, some Halo, some, you know, such and such. And then you go through certain areas and it's like dark with the throbbing red lights. And you're like, is this Silent Hill? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? it's... Yeah. It, it, yeah, there's. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there was, uh, I think, some of the most interesting moments in the game. And I don't want to give too much away, but there are a few key moments that people are talking about the most uh, on social media mm -hmm. that happen in the game. And those were just, you know, one of the designers just came up with an idea. And I said, 
make it, you know, <laughs> just go build it, get, let's get weird, let's get crazy, and uh, let's see how far we can kind of push this strangeness that we're trying to do. And I think that's one of the cool things about this world is that we built a world where we can kind of create anything we want to mm-hmm. um, and then and then kind of pull it all together into one one world that, that it all somehow, strangely enough, makes sense in. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a way that we got very strange things in the game. I mean, and that also has me wanting to ask you, like, how did it feel? Like, the, the fan reception has been astronomically good. Like, people yeah. love the game. And it's, you know, I remember seeing it at, um, I remember seeing the announcement for it last year, E3. And then, mm-hmm. you know, I was at E3 this year, and it was amazing like people were talking about like man wait i I, have you seen control you seen the trailer it looks really really good and then it launched and it's like it's almost like out of nowhere people were like whoa i'm not talking about i'm not talking about borderlands i'm not talking about astral Mm. chain i'm talking about this i'm talking about control and it's like like okay i'm gonna shut up how did it feel for you I mean, it's, it was amazing. I, I think we we ended up winning more awards uh, at at E3 than any previous game I've worked on um, to like a, a crazy degree. I think that 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 people were as fascinated by the game that that we were, you know, in creating this game, and uh, it was it was amazing. It, you know, at, at each studio, at each game you work on, you. Some people play the the Metacritic um, casino game where you try to bet on what your Metacritic score is going to be, and I I always hate trying to guess because you know superstition. You know you don't want to jinx it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I I wouldn't have guessed that um, fans would have like got it and and really like appreciated what we were trying to do as much as they did because it was. You know, it was risky. We were we were trying things that that uh, could have, you know, gone totally horrible. And uh, but they they didn't. Again, speaking to the the team and the quality of the team, it, everybody pulled it together. And uh, I think that the the fan reception was was everything that we hoped it would have been. Definitely, definitely. And you know, I winding down to my last three questions. You know, with as much passion i can tell you're very passionate about anything that you work on and that passion you know it it bleeds into the works that you've done what do you do when you know like okay i need to step away for a bit you know what are some of the things that you're interested in or like kind of like your feng shui your meditation or whatever you need to do to just get back into that creative process the creative flow like when you step away what are some of the things that you like to do or that you enjoy that we as a fan as an audience may not know? Um, I love swimming. I, I'm a super avid swimmer, like long distance swimming. And, uh, and I, I'm actually super out of shape right now. So I need to get back <laughs> into that. But it's, it's like a Zen thing. It's like how I center myself. Um, and uh, that helps a lot, especially when things get stressful, as they, they often do. Um, when you're working on something that everybody cares so so deeply about, and uh, so that swimming is is a big part of my life. Um, sauna here, Finnish people love sauna. They they invented it. Mm-hmm. They should love it. And uh, <laughs> and so that is also something that I kind of discovered, 
you know, the, the proper sauna at least is uh, incredible and it, and it sort of changed my life. It's so relaxing, um, especially in the winter when you go inside of a, a box that's roughly 200 degrees Fahrenheit and then you go into the, you know, where they cut a hole in the ice and you swim in the frozen sea and, uh, wow. you know, it makes you appreciate life <laughs> to, <laughs> to a, an extreme degree, but it's, it's amazing. It's, it's life changing. Um, that's one of the things I love most about living here is, is being able to do that. Um, other than that, I usually like to, um, play a lot of games and just get inspired by the, the incredible work that other developers are, are doing. And it's, you know, just part of, part of uh, what inspires me to, to want to make these games. I get so excited to play these games and I want to do that and share that with other people. And so playing a lot of games, watching a lot of movies, uh, listening to a lot of music, um, reading books. I'm, I'm not a super good reader, but I'm, I, I got a Kindle for Christmas last year. And so I'm, I've been reading a lot more and been getting a lot better at it. Um, and, uh, yeah, things like that. I mean, it's, you have to do, and you know, I want the audience to also understand that when it comes to you're in a position such as yourself, you know, as mine as well, where we're constantly in a state of creating, you have to take care of yourself. You have to step no. back and do things to let yourself rejuvenate because if you're just constantly hammering at it, you get that tunnel vision eventually it gets so closed to the point where you can't really see and you're like, okay, all right, enough. Let me go do something else. And, yeah. you know, playing games or doing this, man, I would love to experience that kind of a sauna. Like, yeah. the, the closest I have to that is stepping outside in summer out here in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably pretty close, actually. Like, yeah, well, if you're ever in the neighborhood, swing by. Definitely, definitely. Well, hey, if you're ever in Hawaii, on, on my island, Oahu, if you're ever here, let me know. I mean, anytime. I love Oahu. <laughs> Oahu and Kauai are my two favorite islands. Oh, man, they're, they're just, just so beautiful. Like, I'll take you to all the spots. There aren't the tourist spots. All Good. The, the, the hole-in-the-wall the hole food places. We got so many that, like, when, when a lot of my voice actor friends come out here or some of the directors I know, they come out and they're like, can we go somewhere that's not touristy? I'm like, I know. Yep, I'll take I got you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Oh, man. So, um... I know, you know, and I'm, I'm a tiptoe around this question as carefully as I can because I understand the, the nature of NDAs, but are there any projects in the works that you are allowed to talk about? I know, probably no, but I have to ask the question. No. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, like, like Remedy, one of the big changes at Remedy is we, we recently, I think, um, basically at the beginning, at, after Quantum Break, uh, Remedy, for the first time in its history, became a multi-project studio. And so um, we were working on Control and Crossfire um, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think Crossfire is, is coming out soon. Um, and uh, now I think we've got four projects going at the same time. So we're, we're growing and, uh, and uh, we're going to see how many games we can build and, and make sure that we can maintain that that same remedy world quality um but yeah unfortunately i don't think there's any of them that i can talk about <laughs> hey that's fine i i understand the nda process so you know 
I always tell my audience every time they give me the question, they're like, you know, ask them what are they working on now. I'm like, you need to understand when you sign that contract, you don't say anything. They're like, oh, it's yep. a leak. I'm like, it's not smart to leak. It's not, especially, yeah. especially with the, and, and I think that's one of the things too. And I've learned, you know, working for Microsoft, going to E3, working with the gaming uh, industry. I think a lot of people that are just consumers of games that like to play games, I don't think they understand. And, and honestly, even YouTubers as well. I don't think a lot of them understand how tightly interconnected the gaming industry is because if you burn one bridge, more than likely you've burned the whole damn thing across the board. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have some crazy stories about that. When, when, uh, I was at Microsoft on halo, mm -hmm. um, we would work regularly with Microsoft, uh, test lab, which was, it's really like one of the biggest and most elaborate um, game testing labs in the world. Mm -hmm. And they really pioneered that uh, game testing at Microsoft. Um, and so we had access to this incredibly, you know, rich lab where we got all kinds of data. And so like imagine, you know, like, I don't know, like 60 different test stations across three different rooms like 20, 20 stations per room. Mm -hmm. um, each one has their own like little cubicle and you've got your own headphones and your own monitor. Um, so you can just kind of get immersed in the game. And, um, and then in the, in the kind of control room, mm -hmm. we can see up on these screens, uh, every player's screen seeing what they're playing, what they see on their screen. And we can see a video of uh, a camera that's that's watching the player as they play. Yeah. So we can see, you know, are they getting frustrated? Are they really excited right now? Um, most of the time, you just get gamer face, which looks like this. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> it's totally true. Because, you know, when you're in the zone, your brain is saying you're having a great time, but, you know, it's not showing up on your face. Yeah. But what happened was... Um, we at, there was this game that was being tested, this other game that was being tested, and um, and somebody who had come in to play test mm -hmm. uh, started leaking pictures that they had taken of the game um, from their phone uh, and putting it in this forum, and they they started leaking stuff about the game, which was you know it's a lot of people would say, well, what's the big deal? The main problem with leaking stuff is that number one, it shows the game in a, a really unfinished state when you know we're often not ready to show it to people, and we 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 care a lot about giving you the best possible experience. So yeah. we want it to be as good as we can possibly make it before you know we show it. Um, and the second thing is that it really makes it difficult to time on the schedule when when we're making announcements. Mm -hmm because it's, it's really difficult now with so many games coming out to time announcements to where anybody can see it, you know, through all the noise of all these other announcements and news that's coming out of in the industry. So when we miss those windows, it can make it really hard to, you know, tell other people about the game and have as many people as possible learn about it. Mm -hmm. um, so this guy had uh, leaked onto the forum these uh, pictures of one of the games that they were testing and the way they found out about it was um, they went back and reviewed the footage from the playtest session and they went through each individual person and they found that uh, one of them, one of the screens, the game would pause, like that he would stop moving mm -hmm. 
at the exact intervals as when the screenshots were taken were taken on the forum. So they're able to compare when one of the people you know stopped moving and when the screenshots was taken, and they were able to find the guy that did it. And it turned out he was like a, I think he was a kindergarten teacher. You know, like a, a nice you know guy, just like a average everyday guy. He he had no malicious intent or anything. He was just really excited about the game. Um, but, you know, they had to explain to him, hey, this was really damaging. Um, and now you have to make sure that all of these websites take down these images. Um, and, and I think that he, he ended up doing all that. Um, but it was, I think it was maybe a harsher lesson uh, to learn than, than was necessary. But as a result of that, I think that they um, are much clearer with people when they come into tests to explain, you know, why it's so important that you not, you know, talk about or leak uh, anything that we're working on. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, this is one of those things. I mean, even, you know, as a reviewer, when companies send codes, you know, there are certain outlines of, you know, please don't share, you know, this before, don't stream it, don't put pictures up, or yeah. you'll get a, a press kit like, okay, you can show this or you can show that, but don't show this because we're waiting for, you know, whatever the embargo to lift. And, yeah. You know, there's so many, I, I see it constantly with other YouTubers, other content creators and journalists where they just, oh, well, we don't care. We're just going to say, oh, well, I don't care. I'm going to get another code anyway. And it's like, yeah. it sets a bad precedence. Like set the example of what, you know, you should be doing. Don't, don't be that guy. That's just, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, it can be really frustrating because we do work really hard to try to set everything up to be as, as good as we can make it. And, and sometimes we get blindsided from time to time. I think a few times, I think with the Halo 4 announcement, mm -hmm. um, we nobody nobody had known about it leading up to when, when we were going to make our big E3 announcement, except that morning. Like, I remember waking up that morning and seeing this massive email, you know, all these emails in my inbox, and I just went, oh no, what? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? And it turned out that I think Microsoft Canada had accidentally uploaded the announcement website before we went live. Mm -hmm. And so they had pre-announced Halo 4, you know, and then they, of course, they tried to take the page down. But at that point, it was spreading like wildfire. And I was just like, you guys, we were so close. We were so <laughs> close. Nobody knew about this. And then the morning of like us, our own company totally yeah. blew it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh. it's, you know, and it, it's really hard. Like I, I remember uh, a couple months ago that actually happened to Capcom with uh, the new announcement for the characters for Street Fighter V. And oh, no. that got leaked at, um, I forgot the tournament. Was it, it, it yeah, Evo. It got leaked, yeah. it got leaked to Evo, I think by Steam. I think it was Steam mm -hmm. or maybe somebody who was testing leaked it out. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, cool. At least we know we can what we need to spend our money on. I'm like, you guys don't understand, like, the amount of work yeah. that goes. Like, this is people spending months and years of their lives working on something just for somebody to be like, oh, okay, here's my phone. I'm going to take a picture, boom, boom, boom. Or I'm going to release something <laughs> that I signed an NDA to, and then boom, it's out there. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't care. Like, yeah, but you're, yep, yep. you're affecting countless people that I've worked on. So it's it's unfortunate that that happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the way it goes sometimes. Well, you know, the last question I have for you is um, what advice would you give to our audience here that uh, would be interested in getting, you know, into video game design or into the gaming industry as a whole? Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, so it, it really doesn't matter what your background is or what your passions are. There are totally things that you can do uh, to contribute to building a game, whether it's if you love, you know, making music or, or, you know, audio engineering, recording sound effects. If you like painting, you know, just being able to paint textures. Um, if you like sculpting, building characters. Uh, I mean, there's, I think, as many different specialties as there are, even like data scientists, mm -hmm. uh, web developers. It, it, like, doesn't matter. Games bring, like, every different discipline together in, in yeah. some way. And so it doesn't matter. Whatever your background is. Um, I've worked with uh, game designers that came from uh, bioengineering. One of them had a master's degree in bioengineering what? Uh, for like biochemistry. <laughs> and, and he just decided at one point that he, he just really loved making games and, and he was really smart. <laughs> and that was, that was super cool. So you can get into games from any avenue and, and uh, that's, that's legit. So, so what I, I usually recommend to people, if you, if you want to get into games, is one thing start making a game and and you and there's so many great tools out yeah. right now that are totally free you can download the unreal engine you can download the unity engine um, there are tons of tutorials all over youtube that literally walk you through step by step like how to get sound effects playing um, how to get your 3d models in um, there's even free 3d modeling software you can download and use to get you know different models in the game and so, um, yeah, there's, there's really just like no excuse anymore to just be able to, you know, not just get right in and start building something. So I really encourage anybody who, who comes up to me and says, you know, I really want to make a game. How do I get a job in the industry? And I just say, if you really want to make a game, start making a game. That's, you know, I took these free Half-Life tools and, and <laughs> without knowing anything at all, put together this goofy little demo and you know it, some people ended up having fun with it so uh, I really encourage everyone to just get started you know download some tutorials download an engine and just start screwing around in your free time and uh, I still do that I still even when I come home from work working on games all day I'll come home and just start screwing around with little little prototypes that I I just have a, a an idea for mm -hmm. and you know have fun have fun doing it awesome Awesome. I lied. I actually have one last question for you. Sure. Yeah. Keep them coming. <laughs> Did you have fun? Making control. Making control. Being on this podcast. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was a blast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a blast. You had good questions too. Really good questions. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I tried to, you know, especially with working with individuals like yourself that are in the gaming industry, I know you guys more often than not get asked the same questions over and over and over. And it, it's it's challenging for me trying to come up with things that are not the norm. You know, like, okay, let's pivot off and go to this direction with a different question, completely out of the spectrum of what we're talking about. But I think that's what makes conversation fun, you know, having the organic ones where... You know, yeah, we could talk about just this, but I'm like, okay, I'm curious about you. Like, how did you get to where you are? Like, what's your yeah. journey? Because, yeah. you know, that's 
Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got a different journey. It's it's amazing. I love hearing other people's stories as well. I mean, everybody kind of comes into games from totally different places, and uh, it's kind of beautiful how, how it all comes together. Awesome, man. Awesome. And uh, is there anything you want to leave the audience with before we uh, sign out? Yes, I'm going to teach you guys how to say goodbye in Finnish. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. Moi moi. <laughs> really? Moi moi. Oh. All right. Yeah. All right. Moi there moi. it is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, did you enjoy this episode of the Castanova Podcast? Well, I'm sure you did. And since you did and you're wondering where else you can find it, you can find it on every podcasting outlet. Yes, it includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Launchpad DM by Podcast One, and so much more. And the only thing I ask of you is if you truly enjoyed it, even if you didn't enjoy it, please leave a rating and tell us what you thought of it, what you liked, what you didn't like, and everything in between. And also, if you're looking for video formats of this podcast and many more, you'll be able to find them on youtube.com slash Casanova, as well as on twitch.tv slash Casanova and new episodes every single Monday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, that being said, this is Mikhail Casanova, Hawaii's favorite YouTuber. I am signing out. You guys have a great one.